Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to week one of Storytellers, where we are exploring simple truths with eternal impact through story. My name is James Savage. I have the honor of being the Dixon Campus Pastor, as well as being your host for this summer podcast, where we will take a deep dive into the art and importance of storytelling. We're gonna learn more about why Jesus used story and parables in his teaching and explore how that teaching can make an impact on our lives today. Before we dive in, let me give you a roadmap for this podcast. At the start of every episode, we're going to discuss how God uses story to communicate key truths about who he is and who we are. Then we will read one of Jesus's parables or a story from scripture using the message translation of the Bible. It's a very conversational, easy to read translation that helps us see the story that's being painted. And then we're gonna do what's maybe my favorite part. We are pairing those parables and stories with a true life story that has taken place in our community. Now, when we do that, we will see that scripture was not only intended to inform us of our past, but if we allow it, it has the power to transform our lives today. With all that being said, let's dive into week one of Storytellers. Y'all, this is gonna be a lot of fun, at least for me. I love storytelling. I grew up in a family of storytellers. Some of my earliest memories are sitting around a bonfire, hearing my dad unwind these spooky stories to my brother and my sister and to me. Each night at dinner, um, everyone at the dinner table was expected to share a story from their day. Out of all the different times that we shared stories and listened to stories, out of all the different holidays where we repeated the same story year after year, something got into my bones that was the love of storytelling. It's true for me and it's, it's true for my siblings as well. My brother now in his off time is a screenwriter. My sister works in education, which means she is constantly either telling a story or in the middle of a situation that will soon become a story. You teachers understand what I mean by that. So what I love most about stories is that by simply listening to them, you and I are invited to participate with them. See, everyone brings their own imagination into the story and we get to fill in the gaps. We get to decide how something actually looked or felt, how someone's voice sounded in that environment. Listening to a story is an invitation to participate with the story. And Jesus knew this. This is why he told parables. He didn't want to just rattle off information. He was inviting the listener to participate in the truths that he was teaching, which is why it's so much fun to read and to study them today. Let's start with first things first and answer the question, what exactly is a parable? So the word parable comes from the Greek word parabole, which means to throw alongside or to cast alongside. It's a term to compare two things alongside each other. So for a parable to work, two things need to be present. One, an illustration of a familiar scene or setting, and then a call for listeners to make judgments based on what took place in that scene or setting. 
it's a way to communicate truth through a story that uses something really familiar. I've heard one author describe Jesus's parables as, quote, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, as we look at the parables over the course of this summer, keep that phrase in mind, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, because what you will see are very familiar down-to-earth settings that Jesus teaches the truth of the kingdom of God within. There's a lot of parables that you can look at to learn about the truth that Jesus taught. There are over 30 parables recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There was one moment where someone straight up asked Jesus, why do you keep using this form of storytelling to teach us about the kingdom of God? You can find Jesus's answer in Matthew chapter 13. I want you to hear Jesus's answer. I'm gonna read Matthew 13, starting in verse 14. Jesus answers the question, why do you teach in parables by saying, In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts in turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Y'all, Jesus longed for people to see and hear the kingdom of God that was taking place around them. And he grieved the idea that our hearts would be calloused, our eyes and our ears would be closed, and that we would miss the beauty of the kingdom of God right in front of us. So he told parables as a way to get us to understand and to see what so many people before had missed. He was teaching those listening key truths about himself, about us, and about our place in this world. Essentially, Jesus was pointing out that those who understand the parables will understand the kingdom of God, and those who don't, won't. And most often, those who don't understand it have hearts that weren't ready to hear it. So during the next seven weeks, we're going to listen to some of Jesus's parables with open ears, open eyes, and open hearts. And we'll see that although they are ancient stories, Jesus's parables are just as relevant today as they were when he first said them. They're meant to be pondered and wrestled with. They're meant to be mulled over and talked about. And as we do that, we will see God's truth spoken into our lives today. So with that being said, let's launch into today's parable with the parable of the persistent widow. The parable of the persistent widow takes place in Luke chapter 18. Now, Luke is one of four gospels found in the Bible. There is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell the same story, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And within that story, we get to hear what Jesus taught the people who were right in front of him. 
Leading up to Luke chapter 18, Jesus had been teaching about the kingdom of God and how it was closer than anyone had imagined. He then tells this story about a woman who pleads to a corrupt judge asking for justice until the judge finally gives in. Now, since this story is coming on the heels of Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God, the original listeners would pick up pretty quickly that the story wasn't really about how desperate women should approach judges. Now, they would realize pretty fast that this is really a story about how you and I get to approach God himself. There's a few things I want you to know before we get into the story. One, let me remind you, this is not a true story, although it was a familiar scenario. So 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, women were vulnerable in that society. And a woman without a father or a husband to advocate for her would be particularly susceptible to someone like a corrupt judge taking advantage of her situation. Now, there are a lot of things that we could pull out of the historical context of this parable. But one thing that you will see in this parable and many other parables is Jesus taking the most vulnerable in a society and lifting them up as an example to follow. It's something that runs through many of the parables. He sees those who are most vulnerable and cares for them as well. With this in mind, let's read the parable of the persistent widow together. You can find it in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse one, and I will be reading from the message translation. Jesus told them a story showing that it was necessary for them to pray consistently and never quit. He said, there was once a judge in some city who never gave God a thought and cared nothing for people. A widow in that city kept after him, saying, my rights are being violated, protect me. He never gave her any time of day. But after this went on and on, he said to himself, I care nothing what God thinks, even less what people think. But because this widow won't quit badgering me, I better do something and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. Then the master said, do you hear what that judge corrupt as he is, is saying? So what makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people who continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you, he will. He will not drag his feet. But how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on earth when he returns? Y'all, sometimes Jesus doesn't give the explanation of the parable that he just told because sometimes he doesn't have to. It's clear. What makes this parable so shocking is that an unjust judge shows compassion to this widow. And the significance that we're supposed to take from that is that if an unjust judge can bring justice, then what about a just God? This is a story answer to Abraham's question that he cried out in Genesis 18 when he said, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Jesus through this parable gives an answer. Yes, yes he will. 
It is a powerful teaching on prayer. And as followers of Jesus, we are meant, we are allowed and even encouraged to cry out to God in prayer with the persistence of the widow in this story, trusting that the God that we pray to is a God of justice who cares, hears our prayers and intercedes on our behalf. I don't know how you approach prayer, but what Jesus taught is that you and I can cry out to God with what is heaviest on our hearts. There's a lot that we can gather and glean from this parable. But instead of giving you all of the insights, I wanna give you some homework. Spend time this week reading and rereading this parable. Consider what it means to come to God with persistent prayer. Ask, what is Jesus teaching us about the heart of our heavenly Father? For right now, I want to introduce to you our storyteller for today. I'm really excited for you to meet Harley Kilgo. She is a second year resident at Crosspoint who works on the content team and helps run the residency program. And her story illustrates what it looks like to embrace Jesus's lesson in this parable, to embrace the power of persistent prayer without ceasing. I guess let's just jump in from the beginning. I did not grow up in the church. Um, so at a really young age, I did lack a spiritual leadership over my life or this mentorship and authority in any realm of that way. And so my best friend invited me into relationship with the Lord. Ultimately, when I was in middle school, she invited me into her youth group, into just a fellowship moment, a moment to come and be a part of what she was a part of. And so I rejected that a lot of times and then finally said yes. And so I gave my life to Jesus, the end of middle school, heading into high school. And so it was a really beautiful thing for me. It was, I always grew up knowing that there, there felt like there was more. Um, I didn't fully understand who I was or what the purpose of anything was. And so when I gave my life to Jesus, it all made a lot more sense. He told me who I was, I found purpose. And so while I had this big monumental moment in my life and I felt like I was going one way, I felt like when I would come home after I was at youth group or after I was a part of this Christian circle of friends or growing in faith or going to Bible study or whatever it was, I felt like when I would come home, my parents were staying the same. There was no movement and I was completely going a different way. And so um, I grew up with incredible parents. They would do anything for me. Um, They loved me well. They supported me well in any of my dreams and ambitions and anything. So I don't have the story of like, I grew up in a horrible household. I actually had really loving and caring parents. But the one thing we didn't have in common was relationship with Jesus. There always felt like there was something that we would never have common ground on. Um, And it wasn't because they were opposed to it. um, And it wasn't that they didn't support me going to church. It's not that they would never come, but it was the way I was growing in relationship with Jesus. They were not. And through a lot of prayer and asking the Lord later in life, it came to the realization that both my parents were saved at a really young age, but they're a prime example of no one walking in relationship with them and teaching them how to follow Jesus and walking in discipleship with them um, and going before them. And so they gave their lives to the Lord and then that was kind of it. And so then... I come into the story, my brother comes into the story. And so, yeah, so while I'm walking in this relationship with Jesus, 
I'm living with them who who don't know how to do that. And I was so young in my faith that I also had no idea how to bring them along with me. I had no idea how to love them well. I was trying to figure all of that out for myself as well. Um, and so from a really young age, I started praying for my family. And my family was probably a huge burden in high school that I carried. And I didn't know how to love them well. I was trying to figure out who I was. All I wanted was them to be with me um, and to love the Lord. And I had a lot of great friends who had incredible Christian parents. And so I was like, man, like I want that. And so all I knew how to do was pray at the time. And I remember at a younger age too, I mean, I wrestling, crying out, like praying, like, Lord, um, even when I didn't even know what I was praying for, I'm like, Lord, I don't know. I just want, I think probably in those years, I was just like, Lord, I just want my family to be normal. I want us to get along. Like I want um, them to know you, all of these things. And so I remember at a younger age that I was like, I cannot save my parents. And it was obviously never meant for me to save them. Jesus saves them. And so, but I do remember at a younger age, this truth that it would not be by the work of only my hands that my parents would come to faith. And I was like, I don't, it it can't be. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do. Um, And so I remember that. And so anyways, Fast forward, I felt like what what I could do was love them well while I was there, be with my family, accept them for who they are, pray for them. I'm like, I don't know what else to do. So I prayed a lot. So through all of that, I think the one constant thing throughout the years from when I was saved until now, um, which is almost 10 plus years later, was that I never stopped praying. And those prayers look different in different seasons. Those prayers looked daily on some in some seasons of life. And they looked like far and few between when I didn't really have the faith to believe anymore. Um, but I prayed and I asked. And so there was a moment where I feel like things shifted. I moved to Nashville about two years ago. And I think that, yes, I had always prayed, but I think the way that I prayed when I moved here was in a lot more desperation and with a lot more faith that I didn't have. Um, I think when I prayed when I was younger that like I believed that the Lord could get my family, could save my family, was after and cared about my family. But when I moved to Nashville, there was a way um, that the Lord just released the gift of faith that I actually believed probably for the first time that He really would do it. That also just took off like shackles of shame of asking other people to pray for my family or hiding any kind of like desperation, like, please pray with me. And it's not a uh, wallowing thing, but it's a beautiful thing of like, I want people to join me in prayer and care for my family. And so when I moved to Nashville, I just continually was praying. I was inviting friends into praying. I got you know, often asked the question of like, who, you know, in your family or like, who is near to you that you want to pray for? And I think that there was a lot more boldness that I approached prayer with in that gift of faith of actually believing like, okay, God, you actually care about my family. I'd seen the Lord start to move. I mean, there was conversations I was having with my family that we'd never had before. I wasn't afraid to have deeper conversations or afraid to say, hey, like this is what God is doing in my life or just to be open about any of that stuff. Um, and I think that was because there was more secureness in my identity of who I was and what God was doing and not necessarily my parents that couldn't receive that. I think that was a me thing, but I think God worked in me to then approach my family with boldness in the same way. And so I remember I was... I was wrapping up my first year in Nashville and I had the opportunity to go back home and work with some great friends and mentors who were planning a church back in my hometown. And so I had this opportunity to go and I was like, man, like I had this 
internal wrestle of like, am I supposed to go? I don't really want to go back to good old gray yet. But I was like, I don't really want to go. But am I supposed to go um, to reach my family? Like, do I need to go back and be a part of this church plant um, for the sake of my family? And God, if that's what you're asking me to do, I'll go. And so wrestled a lot with that or wrestled with staying. And so I prayed some really specific prayers for about a week of like, Lord, am I supposed to be here or there? And so ultimately, I stayed here. I felt like that's what God was allowing me to do um, and inviting me to do was to stay in Nashville. And so I stayed. But despite that, I continued to pray. I'm like, Lord, no matter if I'm going to be a part of this church plant, would this be something that would impact my family? Would they get involved? Would they feel welcomed? Would they find community? Um, Something that has never been true before. Would that be true now, despite if I'm there? I remember early on too, I felt a lot of, at the time, I thought it was conviction, but in processing, I was trying to determine like, is am I convicted by not going home or am I carrying some shame by not going home? And, when I, and am I carrying this complex that like, because I didn't go, my family won't be saved. I remember I was having a conversation with my boss and he had encouraged me in Luke 10, talked about Jesus sending out the 72. And it says in that scripture that, Jesus sends out them like two by two into the towns that he's soon coming after. And so my boss just gave me this really beautiful picture of like for the past 20 years, you have gone before your family and you have been near them and you've gone away now, but Jesus has come after you and he's after your family. I was like, man. And so that like lifted a weight off my shoulder of like, because I felt this burden that, man, I lived there for so long and like, man, God, why didn't you move in my family when I lived there? Like, why did all that mean nothing? And so I really carried this this lie and this shame that like I wasn't enough. And again, I was putting it all on me, which was never the point anyways. But I was like, why couldn't you have done this miracle when I was living there? One of my best friends is a part of this church plant. And so they meet in community groups. And so every Wednesday night, my family was going to a community group, which was also a miracle and an answer to prayer to begin with. So I decided not to move back home. I decided to stay in Nashville. And my prayer was, Lord, can make them involved, like open the door, let them feel welcome to join this church plant. The people that were starting the church plant had started having interest meetings and like putting out ads. And the way that this church plant was going to work was that it was going to start in community groups and then it would spread to eventually leading to Sunday services. But it was all going to start in the home, around the table with community, diving into the word. Um, and so I prayed, I'm like, Lord, this is the first interest meeting. When my parents go? And so they did. My parents went and my brother went and I don't know, I believe it was prayer, but I don't know that there was like this forceful thing. It was, I think that, um, my friends that were planning the church and people that loved them had invited them in. I think for probably for the first time they felt invited somewhere and welcomed. And so they accepted that invitation. So they went to the interest meeting and then I said, okay, Lord, I continue to pray, like, would they join a community group? Like, would they give up one of their evenings to go to this community group, meet with these people? Um, And they did. And I was like, whoa. And so, like, little by little, there was like, oh, this is actually happening. It was kind of a lot to, I really couldn't fathom it. But I think it was the simple, I think all I was asked to do on this side was pray. And then I think the people that were on the ground with the church and in gray, were inviting them in and they felt welcomed. And so they kept going. It deeply encouraged my faith, even little by little. Um, like them even going to an interest meeting, I was like, man, that's an answered prayer in and of itself. I have no idea what the end will hold. 
Um, but I think going back to that, how when I moved to Nashville, I felt like the Lord released this gift of faith. Me truly believing that he would do things and then seeing it happen, like filled with only awe and gratitude. It was, I think even today, as I look back, I'm like, I I can't really fathom it. I never, I think that there's, there's big things we believe for in our life that we're like, man, will that actually ever really happen? And we have the faith to believe it. But then when it happens, you're like, like you can't believe it. Um, and so it definitely, like as they, God was moving in their life, I was also being changed by what he was doing through my family. Um, yeah, so it deepened, I think just the way that I loved him and needed him and like believed that he really cared about my family as deeply as I did. Um, and so they got involved in this community group. They're going every week they're enjoying it. I'm like, I have the the plug of like good friends that are doing this with them. And so they were really kind to like not speak on my parents' behalf without them wanting to tell me something or vice versa. So there, but I would just ask questions. I prayed and I was just like, I'm willing to listen whenever um, my parents want to tell me something. Or if I call and ask like, how was community group? Or um, I did like the least that I could without prying, even though I had a lot of questions. And so I remember in that struggle of me feeling shame for not going home or believing that lie that um, one of my friends called me and she said, hey, like, I just want to encourage you that tonight when we were at community group, we asked the question of who in your life has been like the clearest representation of Jesus to you? And my mom like immediately said me and for me, I was in the middle of believing a lie that the way that I lived was not honoring for those years or it just wasn't enough for them to believe and things like that. So that in itself was the Lord and His kindness just speaking to me of like, you did what I asked you to and I asked you to pray. Um, and I asked you to love me and you did that. And they saw that even though you didn't think they did. And so just little stories like that. Um, I've my mom got gifted a Bible one Wednesday night and she called me and she was like, oh, this was the sweetest thing I ever received. Like there are just moments of things that I never thought would be true that were starting to happen. And I was like, unsure how to hold it all. The beginning of this year, one of the biggest things that I prayed was like that Jesus would become more real to my family. He is working, he's moving, they're involved, they're serving, they're doing all of these things. But would they actually desire to walk in deep relationship with them? And this is, had been happening, but I'm like, Lord, just continue it. Just continue it. I'm praying this in January. And I do, I can look back and see a shift of when things had shifted. I was reading back through my journal before this. And I remember back in October, like journaling, like, Lord, I don't want to soon forget what you're doing in my family. And that was just them getting involved and them saying yes to going to a group and to sharing and to asking questions that they'd never asked before, to walking in discipleship with someone that can actually show them how to follow Jesus um, and doing that in community. I remember conversations with my family shifting, um, my mom calling me and asking me to pray for things with her and me getting to pray over the phone with her or me just being bold enough to, to say what I believe like in faith that she can receive it and understand what I'm saying. And so I think back to the beginning of the story where I felt always loved and cared for by my family, but there was like this thing that we were not connected on. I finally felt like what was 
We were not connected on what felt broken then was being restored and put back together. Like we actually, the connection that we're having is the foundation of who Jesus is. I remember multiple times of calling and asking for prayer or even telling my mom like, hey, this is where I'm at. And she's like, okay, um, I'll pray for you. Her called me and like, hey, I was praying for you on my way to work. And I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? Um, And so it's in the middle of all this, it's restoring my tie to my family and also the way... um, no understanding the way that the father deeply cares about us and like how things were meant to be. And so in the last week of April, I get a text from my mom and I'm coming home that weekend already for to surprise a friend back home. And I was going to see my family, but that was not why I was going home. And so she, my mom called me and she's like, hey, are you going to be here until Sunday and working at a church? I'm like, absolutely not. I've got to get back. Um, I won't be there. And she'd called me and she's like, well, what if I said I was going to get baptized? And I was like, wait a minute, hold the phone. What do you, like, I was like, wait. It was in the middle of the craziest week of work. And so I was like, I don't even know how to receive this right now. All the things that I've been praying for my family, I got to have a conversation with my mom about and pray for her on the phone. Um, And so she was like, just saying that the Lord had been moving in her heart and there was things happening at the church that some membership things and she, they wanted to join and be members, but she'd never been baptized and all of this. And so she calls and she's like, would you, um, would you still be here? And I was like, I would move mountains, I, no matter what it takes, like whatever day, the day that I've prayed my whole life for you to be baptized, I'll be there. And so we prayed on the phone and she was um, definitely back and forth. I want to go into too much detail, but of just like, oh, I'm not ready. And you know, kind of believing some lies herself. And so I got to honestly pastor her through that, which is there. you take on a weird weight when you are um, the spiritual authority of your parents, which I'd felt like my whole life. But what felt like a burden for so long actually was like starting to feel like a joy and a gift to get to lead them through um, and a deepening of relationship with how I could relate to them. I ended up going home anyways. And um, I was like, just let me know where you're at. And so she was knew that she wanted to get baptized, but it was like, hey, am I going to do it this Sunday or is it going to be later? And so fast forward, her and my dad meet with the pastors of this church and um, they pray and I pray and they come to the realization that they're ready to get baptized. And so I get to go home and I get to be there and the my good friends and pastors, they called me and they're like, hey, would you want to baptize your parents? And I was like, holy moly. <laughs> um, I said, I would be honored to baptize my parents. Like, these are things I'm like, I have prayed for all of my life. Like, these are dreams that like, you know, you have far-fetched dreams that you're like, that will never happen. And having it happen right in my face was like unbelievable. And so I was like, I would be honored to baptize my parents. So yeah, so my mom and dad both decided to get baptized and to do it together. And they wanted to take this next step in their journey um, together. And so my dad knew I was going to baptize them, but my mom didn't. And so got to the moment after service and the other, like the pastor baptized the other guy first. And then I walked up to baptize my mom and she didn't know that I was going to baptize her. Um, And so it was a really beautiful moment of just raw emotion that truly only the Lord could have like put together and fathomed. Yeah, it was one of the greatest joys of my life to get to baptize both of my parents. My brother was there watching and a lot of family stood around and a lot of people of faith stood around and people that had prayed for me and with me and fought in prayer and fought in belief throughout the years. And so 
um, it was just a beautiful picture of what prayer and consistency and trust and faith can do. Um, and it wasn't me alone. And so, yes, I fought in prayer, but there were people that I called on in community to do it with me. And so when I was, when I look back and when I think about that day, there, um, there are two big things that I really feel like were true. Um, and I think that one, that the Lord is faithful to us. And I know we hear that, but he really is. And the truth that he will redeem and he can restore even the deepest things of your life. And so what felt like my, one of my biggest burdens of my story that I was like, I cannot carry this alone. Um, He could carry it and he carried it with me and he was before me. And so one of the, the weightiest things and one of the burdens that I've fought and prayed for, he can redeem and restore it. Um, and he is true to that and he will do it. And so the way things shift when we actually believe in faith, he poured out the gift of faith over my life. And so if I could encourage anyone, it would be to receive that and welcome it. And it's not anything that I mustered up on my own, like the only faith and hope I had was in Jesus. And so I went from a place of like praying in somewhat belief to praying in full belief. And I think that he will honor our prayers and what we ask. All I did when praying for my family was come into agreement with what he promised that he would already do, that he wants to restore and redeem his people. I was just coming to alignment with that and believing in faith that he would do it. And walking in that gift of faith, I think that there is a a boldness and a deeper trust that I approach the Father with now. There are other areas of my life that it's hard for me to now believe that are too far gone or that he actually can't restore and redeem. There are other people in my life that I'm still praying for. Um, there are other friends in my life who have prayed the same prayers for their family. And so I think that it's changed me of understanding the truth of his word and getting to experience it for myself in a way that I that I didn't think I would. And I think that it also, going back through the story of like, there was a lot of, I thought I had to do all of it. And I thought that, you know, God was asking me to this and a lot of like me thinking that I would have to save and reach my family. And I think it's just shifted the way that like, he actually just asks us to be with him and partner with him and he'll use us, but it's not by my hand that any of it will happen. And just walking in this belief that he'll take care of us and take care of the people that we care about. And that the way that I love my family and I love my friends and I love the people that I'm in prayer for, he loves them even more than that. And so I think it's just shifted my perspective on what he can do and what he will do and trusting and believing um, that he's good to his word and that he he will do what he says. I think there's a, a boldness and a a way of intimacy that I've gotten to walk in relationship with him that while he's shifting and changing my parents, he's shifting my heart to receive all of who he is and to actually believe some of it for the first time. Although the parables that Jesus taught were fictional stories, when we allow the truth of those stories to enter our heart, they can then be lived out in our lives. That's what I took from Harley's story. So as you go about the rest of your week and as you dig back into the story of the persistent widow, my hope is that you would see the power of parables happening all around you, that they would encourage you to come to God with persistent prayer. Thank you so much for joining us for episode one of Storytellers. 
We are all a part of a story that fits into God's bigger story. It's a story that He is still writing in my life and in yours. So as He reveals to you how your story fits into His, we'd love to hear about it at crosspoint.tv slash share your story. You can like and subscribe to this podcast. And if this episode has meant something to you, you can share it. If you tag us on Instagram at crosspoint.tv, we might have the opportunity to repost your post. Follow along with our Storytellers Sunday series at crosspoint.tv slash watch now. And check out the show notes for questions that will help you go deeper as you continue to explore the parable that we talked about today. Y'all, I am so excited about the upcoming episodes that we have in this podcast. Join us next Wednesday as we take a deep dive into the parable of the lost coin and get to hear how that parable was lived out in real life by Crosspoint staff member, Mindy McCombs. Check out a clip from her story now. So we're looking down the whole time, get to the far end of the parking lot where the last cars would be parked before you hit the road. And everyone's ahead of me. I'm looking on the ground. Um, and literally everyone had already passed and right in front of my feet was this ring with black on the sides and a diamond in the middle. And I think in that moment, I, I don't know why I was surprised to find it. I don't know why when we pray for something specific that God's placed on our heart that we're surprised when He does what He says He's going to do.